So Amy and I were talking the other day, we were driving around and, um, you know, we, we are not quite empty nesters, but of course, Alicia is an adult. That's our oldest daughter. It's our only daughter, but she's our oldest child. And Landon is still, uh, he's about to wrap up his high school uh, years next year as he graduates. And, but he is fairly emancipated. He just kind of is doing what he does. He's a, he's an old 17 year old. And, um, so we were talking the other day as we were out driving around by ourselves, like we're doing a lot in these days, just trying to figure out what life looks like without having uh, smaller children to take care of, or even, you know, adolescents. And we're talking about where we're going to eat and we were, we just wanted to have a nice dinner together. And as we were talking about and discussing what places to go and eat, we were, you know, talking about how we feel about certain restaurants and everything. And it occurred to me probably 10 minutes into the conversation where we still hadn't landed on what steakhouse we want to go to. I said, we're snobs. We're actually snobs. We, when it comes to steak and when it comes to what kind of food we eat and what restaurants we go to, we have, we have to officially confess that we're steak snobs and, uh, we don't like cheap steak. We don't like, you know, if we're going to go out and eat at a, at a restaurant, we want it to be nice. We want it to be, um, you know, the place to have a good atmosphere. We want them to serve well. And, uh, by the way, for all of you that are servers, I tip very well, especially when I get, um, good service. But ultimately it was like, yeah, I'm not in the mood for an average steak. And, um, I thought to myself, we started laughing because we realized, okay, here we are a middle-aged uh, couple and driving around and we're, we're, these are American first world problems. We're talking about which steak might suit us the best. Now y'all don't be offended at that. Like it's not what we do all the time, but we were doing it that day and to counterbalance it. Let me just say this. This is actually what I want to tell that story. I'm not a coffee snob. I'm a steak snob. I am not a coffee snob. I'll basically drink coffee from anywhere. I've got a cup sitting in front of me right now that is of the K-cup variety. That's usually what I drink, K-cup, occasionally Starbucks and um, you know some of your other coffee houses. But man, I'll run into the racetrack gas station and I will pull the lever on that big motor oil coffee thing that they've got in there. They may have made that thing three days ago. I don't care. I throw a little bit of cream in it. I get back in the truck and I'm going. You know, we develop fine taste about certain things and other things we learn to live with. I'm just wondering, have you identified where you're a snob? Some of y'all are snob with clothes. Some of y'all are a snob with the people you hang out with. Some of you are church snobs. Oh, man, I said it. Some of you guys are church snobs. It's like you're going to go to the church in your community and aren't about to take a step down. Some of you are music snobs. Like you can't bear with um, anything less than pitch perfect excellence in worship and stuff like that. Let's just get honest. And we, we need to quit, you know, raising our guard and fighting to defend um, certain things. And look, we're in the process of sanctification. We're not there yet. <laughs> Nobody's there yet. But, you know, when, this issue of snobbery that I just, you know, was thinking about this morning when I was driving in to uh, do the podcast today, uh, this issue of snobbery is um, connected to something that's not quite as humorous. Um, you know, we can be steak snobs or coffee snobs or clothing snobs you can probably even get away with you know being a being a music snob but um man i'm i know that you are aware of the intense divisive nature going on in our culture right now i know you're aware of it and if you're not aware of it i'll risk it i'll just say you might be part of the problem there is a culture of chaotic conflict. And I believe that it's not flesh and blood. 
I believe, sure, humans are involved in it. They're, they're stewarding the conflict and the divisiveness or divisiveness in the, in the culture. They're stewarding a bit of the chaos. But guys, like everybody seems to be mad about something. Everybody seems to be offended about something. Somehow over the last, I don't know, it goes back to the Trump years and Trump as a president and just as an individual was an agitator. He like, he provoked, man. He said stuff, tweeted stuff, did stuff that um, riled people up. And whether you like that or not, it's an undeniable fact. He was an agitator. Um, At least, you know, under his rule, we weren't, you know, paying $6 a gallon for gas. And, um, you know, that's another story, but, um, he, he was an agitator and I think it started really probably, probably pre-Trump with Obama, but man, it it just went to a new level with Trump and the culture. Like he, he divided the culture just by, cause he's a polarizing figure. And you had some people that borderline worshiped president Trump, other people that would have killed him if they could. And obviously I'm saying that, you know, with no ill will in my heart, but there were, there are people that would, would love to see President Trump dead. And uh, now it's carried over into the culture. And now, you know, it's under a new president. But there are people probably that feel the same way about Biden. I don't know if anybody worships Biden. I mean, I don't think he's fooling anybody. He's not exactly a stellar president. Um, but there are people that, you know, are using him for their purposes. And so the culture is getting more and more divided. And all you got to do is just, you know, scroll through any social media feeds, you know, Instagram, probably not as much, but especially if you're on Twitter, by the way, I am, if you're on Twitter and you want to follow me, I'm word and spirit guy or word spirit guy. I don't know. Just look up Jeff Lyle. I think it's word spirit guy. And, um, you know, Twitter is just, I got back on when Elon Musk, uh, was reported to have bought it. Cause I thought maybe things would mellow. It's not mellow at all. Like people are just straight up angry. Even Christians on there just picking fights, just absolutely picking fights. And I'm thinking to myself, the chaos in the culture and the divisiveness in the culture and the toxicity of the culture has, has fully hit the body of Christ. So in churches today and um, among Christians today, you've got people that are like walking around constantly offended. They're, they're bruised. Like you brush up against them and they're screaming foul. And we, we are finding people that are just looking for a fight. And it's, it is so foreign to the heart of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm, I want to go to Ephesians 4 today. I'm just going to read you a few verses because I'm working on this. Like I am working on this. Let me take a sip of this coffee that I'm not snobbing over. Hold on. Yep. That's probably low on the totem pole of coffee connoisseurs, but it tastes great and it's got caffeine in it. So I'm a happy guy. All right. Back to topic at hand. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I, I like to fight for principles. Um, I try not to fight for me. Um, although if you're, if you're a fighter, you're going to have to be really aware that a lot of times when you're fighting for a principle, it can slip immediately into you fighting for yourself. And so you have to be aware of that and the Holy Spirit will help you with that. But I fight for principles like, man, if somebody is combating a biblical kingdom principle, if they're undermining it, if they're resisting it, if they are, um, you know, if, if they're acting in ways, I'm talking about Christians here, I'm, I'm now out of the culture and I'm in the church. So everything I'm about to say has very little to do with, uh, people that are not yet believers 
this is about us who are, we who are believers. And so when, when Christians, they actually violate the heart of God by acting in ways that, that actually oppose the counsel of the written word or the directives of the written word, you'll see me fight. And I hope you will too. Like straight up, man, if we do not contend for what is written in scripture, um, then we will lose our, our bearings. We will, will lose our, the characteristics of Christ because scripture not only expresses the characteristic of Jesus Christ, but it also imparts it to us when we believe it and we get like revelation on it and we start living it out. We become like Jesus. So the Bible is very important. And on this issue of conflict and division and infighting among Christians, it's epidemic right now. Um, I don't like to hang out dirty laundry, but the Southern Baptist, um, and I, by the way, I was Baptist. I was actually not Southern Baptist ever as a Christian, but I was independent Baptist. We actually, <laughs> we thought the Southern Baptists were wild and liberal. <laughs> so that's how conservative and fundamentalist I was. Um, but the Southern Baptists just got, man, they just, they're, they're devouring each other. Not all of them. And some of you that are Southern Baptists, apologies ahead of time. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying when this thing blew up about the cover-ups about sexual abuse by church leaders and, you know, it's not quite at the level of the Roman Catholic church, but it's, it's a big deal, man. The Southern Baptists do some incredibly good work in the kingdom. And yet they were seemingly willing to protect predatory leaders and um, ostracized the victims of those leaders for years and years and years. And that thing blew up a few weeks ago. Um, if you're not connected to Southern Baptist, you might have missed it. I don't recommend you go explore it. And you can just understand there was a big, big dust up. And so they're fighting, man. They're fighting online. It's not just the Baptists. I mean, the Methodists, of course, have, have been fighting uh, recently over the LGBTQ stuff. And uh, that's, a, that's a fight worth fighting for. But again, the way that it's done, it becomes less about the principles of the word of God and more about us versus them. And Jesus never, he, he actually never anoints us to have an us versus them mentality when it's Christian upon Christian. It's actually not him, but here's the deal. So here I'm, I'm kind of meandering, but we're 10 minutes in. Let me just say this. The reality is, is there will be conflict. There's going to be conflict among Christians. There's going to be division at times among Christians. There's going to clearly be disagreements. I mean, matters of opinion, they're popping all over the place. And, you know, that's the lowest level. I mean, that, that ought to be the easiest thing to negotiate, navigate in, in Christian love is when we have different opinions on stuff. But what do you do when there's a legitimate crisis? What do you do when there's a legitimate conflict? What do you do when you, you're going um, into something where there's somebody opposing the written word of God? How do we fight fairly? Like, the turn the other cheek principle is something that Jesus spoke about, but that thing has been completely misrepresentative, uh, misrepresented by a segment of Christianity that turns, turns Christians into pacifists who tuck their tail between their legs and never make a stand. And I don't think that's Christianity either. So let me read to you out of Ephesians four. I almost, this would have been back in the early two thousands. I almost wrote a book on Ephesians 4, verses 1 through uh, 4. Um, actually, it was would have been verses 1 through 6. I was going to call it 4-4 church because Ephesians 4-4 four, four, um, is really just what drives me so much. And so let me, let me just read these verses real quick. Ephesians 4, 1 says, and Paul's writing, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And here he describes how we are to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the bond of peace. And here's Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. So those four verses in Ephesians 4 to me are what I call just foundational anchor verses, relational verses. Because there is going to come conflict. There's going to come disagreement. There are going to come times of separation from Christians. Paul and Barnabas had to separate. Do you remember that? Yeah, and Paul and Barnabas were partners in ministry for years and years and years. And then they got into a disagreement about the value of uh, Barnabas, Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. Um, because John Mark had quit on a former missionary journey. And, and Paul, type A, choleric apostle, he said, I don't want to take John Mark on a, ever again on another missionary journey. And Barnabas was like, hey, man, that's my nephew. And give, him, give the kid a little bit of time to grow. Um, let's take him with us. And Paul was like, nope, he's not going with us. And so Paul and Barnabas, partners in ministries, ended up, the Bible says there was a sharp contention, meaning they were like up in each other's face over this. This wasn't like a, a polite disagreement over a cup of tea. They were like upset and uh, they split ways and the Bible never indicates they ever worked together again in the kingdom. Now they both kept serving the Lord, but they did it in different places. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, different, different seasons will bring about times of conflict. But what are you to do to steward your own heart? Because I, I, this is what I know. I'm going to give an account to Jesus Christ for how I handled personal conflict, ministry conflict, theological conflict, um, missional conflict. I'm going to give an account. I'm like, I am going to stand before the Lord. And I don't know how it all works at the judgment seat of Christ, but it's clear I'm going to give an account. You're going to give an account for every idle word. You're going to give an account for your motivations. You're going to give an account for your actions. You're going to give an account for how you treated people. And when you are in ministry, and by the way, all of you that are saved are to be in ministry. It doesn't mean you earn your living that way, but you're, you're to be in ministry. You're to be partnering with people to advance the gospel, to serve the body of Christ, to evangelize the lost, and to propagate the truth of the kingdom. That All of us are supposed to be doing that. And we, we do it together. That's the thing that, remember, we're supposed to do it together. And we're very different people. So God Almighty calls us, and it even says in Ephesians 4, that we are to bear with one another. I believe that Greek word is hupotasso, which means to bear up under. It means to come up under, to hold up under the weight with one another. Because relationships bring conflicts, and conflicts get heavy, and the Lord says you don't get to escape the weight of that. You have to learn how to bear up under it. Wow. And so... Back in, um, it was really technically the summer of 1996 where I began vocational ministry. It was part-time at that time, but I was on staff at my church. I was working 40 hours a week at my job and then working another 25, 30 hours a week at the church. And then in the beginning of 97, I came full-time into pastoral ministry, serving as an associate pastor to my pastor for five years. And then when he resigned after the process was complete, I became the lead pastor of that church. And I stayed there for 20 years 
as a lead pastor from what was originally Meadow, then it became New Bridge, now it's Gate City. And we went through two church mergers. We went through a couple of church splits. Um, I did my whole ministry there was Reformation from uh, Fundamentalist Baptist to uh, non-denominational New Testament that we were just going to be a Bible people in the sense of being defined by the Bible. But you can imagine if you're transitioning a fundamentalist Baptist church into a New Testament, non-denominational, spirit-filled church, there's going to be conflict. And so um, it's, it's taken 20 plus years for me to learn how to navigate conflict. And this is what I've learned. You can be too passive and the Lord will be unpleased. And you can be too intense and the Lord will be unpleased. And there's ramifications for the passivity and there's ramifications for being um, intense to the point of being abrasive and harsh. And I've done both. Um, There's things that I wish I could go back over the last 20 years and unsay. Um, There's other times where I wish I had said more. And so when conflict finds me in these days, I try to abide by the principle of contending for truth. And most of the time uh, when there's conflict in your life with other Christians is because y'all have different takes on the same situation. When there's conflict in a church, there's different views of the same situation. And apart from following the principles of Matthew 18, which Jesus gave, Jesus gave, I mean, there's a lot, there's actually plenty of instruction on conflict in the New Testament. Jesus gave it. By the way, there's also the book of Proverbs. You can read through the book of Proverbs. There's a lot that has to say with how do we handle personal conflict. Um, But Jesus talked about in Matthew 18, when the conflict hits the place where people are saying, you've sinned against me, Jesus says, this is how you handle it. I don't have time to go break all that down, but you just read Matthew 18. And just in a nutshell, it says this, when somebody's offended you, somebody's sinned against you, somebody has hurt you, you go directly to that person. You, You don't go to other people. You try to go to that person in humility and you say, hey, this has occurred. This is the way I perceive it. It's caused relational breakdown between me and you. Fellowships have been, been undermined. And I need to talk to you about this because I feel you've sinned against me. And as, as you go, you also are wide open to let the person say, no, actually, you've sinned against me. And so you want to hear if you, if you have sinned against them, you want to hear that because the last thing you want to do is be ignorant of your sin against somebody. And then to be operating as if you're the only one who's been wrong. Sometimes you've actually done something too. And so we go to the person that sinned against us and then we're open if we've sinned against them. And then you meet, the ideal is you meet right there in the endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Again, Ephesians 4.3. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That is the expectation of God. Now, if that person won't hear you, Then it says you bring two or more people with you. So they need to be a witness to your attempt to get it resolved with that person. And if that person will not um, hear you and the accompanying two witnesses where you're pleading with them, hey, let's get this restored. Let's make this right in the sight of Jesus. Jesus's blood has made us one. We are not allowed to be in perpetual conflict with each other. That doesn't please the Lord. What do we need to do to get Jesus in the middle of this thing so we can all humble ourselves, get at his feet, and be reconciled? And so Jesus says, if that, the individual won't hear you, then you bring two people and you're just really going for it. Now, what's amazing is that doesn't happen very often in our churches today. People get offended. They get hurt. They feel like they've been done wrong. They, they feel like somebody sinned against them. And, and they just walk away. And, and oftentimes it's accompanied with gossip. It's accompanied with accusation. It's accompanied with slander. And um, man, that actually takes a broken situation 
and makes it more broken to the point where, you know, God can't smile on that. God can't smile on an offended person running around saying, this is what happened. I'm not going to get it reconciled. I'm not going to talk to the person, but I want you to know what this person did. That is sin. It's just straight up sin. So if you're ever tempted, like when you've been wounded or hurt and guys, listen, we're all susceptible to this. Um, I've gone through stuff in ministry where the Lord has firmly said to me, keep your mouth shut. You are hurt. You're wounded. You're mad. Keep your mouth shut, Jeff. Talk to me about it. Don't talk to anybody else about it. Don't defend yourself. Don't try to gain an alliance. Just get before me. And man, I'm going to tell you, your flesh will show you how strong it's in when, when you've been wronged or you've been offended, or at least you feel you have. And, and the Lord says, don't go around making your case, come before me and I'll help your heart. And so ultimately when a person in a conflict situation, when you get Jesus in the middle of it and both people are seeking Jesus, he will bring, um, a unity. He will repair. I've seen it happen dozens of times. I've, I've, I've seen it fail to happen more times. But I've seen it happen dozens and dozens of times where high-level conflicts are brought to resolve and reconciliation because everybody's seeking the Lord. But um, ultimately, I mean, what's amazing is in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if the person refuses to come to a place of reconciliation, if the person refuses to repent, if the person refuses the process that I've outlined, I mean, and you take the witnesses and, you know, you're, you're working to rest, uh, reconciliation, and if that person refuses the, the teaching of scripture on this issue, it's in there for a reason because God wants to bring healing. And if the healing is refused by refusing the process, then the Lord says, okay, you have no other choice but to tell it to the church. And that's intense, man. That means what could have been high, handled privately one-on-one -on -one now becomes a public issue. And guys, that is some of the hardest places for us in ministry where... <clears throat> Like we recognize that, you know, we promote Christianity a lot as this individual thing between a, a soul and God. And, you know, in one sense, salvation is completely individualized. We, none of us go to heaven on the coattails of another. But when you are saved, you're, you're not an, an individual Christian who just gets to operate in a silo mentality. We're all connected. So what affects one in the body affects the entire body. And so that's why we are to endeavor. We're to work hard. That word in Ephesians 4 says endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It literally is a Greek word that, that indicates do whatever is needed. Do whatever is needed to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit and the peace of the body of Christ. And that's a far cry from walking away and throwing grenades on your way out. And sadly, that's happened in a lot of churches. And so we have to keep our hearts pure on this. So let me, let me just ask you a couple of questions. How are you right now in your relationships? While you ponder that, let me take a sip of my coffee again. How are you in your relationships? Is there anybody you're sideways with? And what are you doing about it? Some of you might say, well, I'm waiting on them to make it right. Well, doesn't the Bible tell you to endeavor to do whatever it takes to make it right? Well, I'm upset. Okay, I get it, man. That's the whole point. You're upset. They're upset. Something's been broken. And one of the things that I think we've got to remember is that the devil doesn't sit by as a spectator when this stuff happens. He, he's, got, <laughs> he's got an agenda for what is going on. And we have to be aware I mean, it's guys, it, I want you to understand this in that same chapter in Ephesians four, 
there is, um, I think it's chapter four, verse 27 in the context of all this relational stuff, it says, give no place to the devil. <laughs> so in, in Ephesians four, in the midst of, uh, Paul writing about us being unified, us growing up, us appreciating others' gifts, us speaking the truth in love, us submitting unto Jesus Christ, and the, to not walk as we used to do. It's, and it says in verse 17, don't walk as the Gentiles, the unbelievers do. So we're supposed to do things differently. And then you, you, get, you get down to verse 22. It says, start denying yourself. Put off your old self. Don't give in to your old former desires, the old ways you used to think, the old fallen ways you used to be operated. Verse 23, you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, you've got to learn to think differently about all of this. You can't operate by your natural instinct. You actually have to intentionally come up under the harness of the Holy Spirit in times of conflict, and you've got to get humble. It doesn't mean that you don't hash the stuff out. You know, this is not like, 17th century British etiquette moments where everybody's just being, Oh, God bless you for wounding me. It's, it's not that kind of stuff. We're not, we're not being fake. We're, we will hash it out. Sometimes it can, we, I mean, it can get it. You almost have to facilitate a crisis to get to the peace. And a lot of people hate the crisis so much that they deny the momentary crisis and that therefore they never experience the sustained peace. Cause sometimes it does. It, you know, like, when you got to confront the stuff, it can be conflict and it's intense and people have no margin for conflict anymore. They're like, they would rather, they would rather let it be, just let it lay there and never be resolved because it's going to require a face to face. It's going to have to require repentance on probably Usually everybody has to repent. Um, it's going to have to require humility. It's going to have to require you hearing people say, this is what you did. This is how it affected me. And a lot of people just be like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. That's a little uncomfortable. It's a little awkward. I don't like that kind of scene. So I'm just going to jet. And yet the scripture says, no, you actually need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self because it's created in the likeness of God unto true, 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 true righteousness and holiness. That's Ephesians 4.24. So it's about the truth. It's about what is upright, righteousness. It's about holiness. In other words, if we're out of fellowship with each other and we know we're supposed to make it right, but we choose not to, you can't be in fellowship with God if you won't pursue fellowship with those that you have had conflict with. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But anyway, so you get down to verse 26 of Ephesians 4 and it says, be angry, but do not sin. In other words, you can be hurt, you can be angry, you can be upset, you can feel wronged, you can be offended, you can be bruised, but you can't stay that way. You're not allowed to stay that way. It says you can be angry, but don't sin. And as a matter of fact, it says take care of it quickly at the earliest opportunity. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So whatever that offense is, whatever that hurt is, whatever that anger is, you might even have all the facts on your side. Like you might be 100% correct. But the Bible says you're not allowed to ignore it. You actually have to deal with it. Because it's in the dealing with it that the resolution comes. It's in the dealing with it that we learn how to be like Jesus when we're opposed. It's in the dealing with it where we, we say, I'm not in agreement with this other person, but I'm going to value the image of God that they are. I'm going to value the fact that the Lord loves this person. I'm going to value the fact that God is, is a God of righteousness that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, according to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So you have to find out what the truth is. Everybody's got to come to agreement on the truth. And, and if you don't, that's where verse 27 says, don't give opportunity to the devil. 
Now, let me just finish up in the last couple of minutes here. The reason why Jesus wants us to deal with conflict at the earliest possible opportunity, following the outline of scripture, is because when there is no face-to-face communication over a conflict, there can be no resolution. And when there is no resolution, the devil says, thank you for opening the door. I am happy to come into this situation. And he does. And that's where people start feeling suspicious and paranoid. They start becoming accusatory. They start uh, painting themselves as the perpetual victim. I know people that every church they've ever been at, they're the victim. They're the victim. And sometimes I've had to say to them, do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? It's you. So you're not renewed in the spirit of your mind. You can't be the perpetual victim. Like it's just not reasonable that everywhere you go and every church you're in, you're victimized. They don't love you. They don't think of you. They don't use you. They don't appreciate you. The common denominator is the person who thinks they're the perpetual victim. And the reason that they, they never get solved is because they keep moving from place to place. And the devil shows them in every single place, the same narrative that it's, it's the people against them. It's the devil, man. That's how he works. The devil traffics in ambiguity. The devil doesn't like people coming to the table and talking about truth. Because if the devil can keep people in conflict and keep those people who are in conflict separated from one another and keep at least one party in that conflict from obeying Matthew 18, where the son of God tells us what to do, then the devil gets to own the narrative. And he's the accuser of the brethren. So he'll keep accusing that person you're upset with. He'll accuse God. He'll accuse you to the person you're upset with. Oh my goodness. I I can't tell you how many times I've been in seasons of conflict. And man, there was a few years back in the, um, the 2010s where, man, I felt like every time I was stepping into the pulpit, there was somebody out there that was just upset with me and I wasn't imagining things. Because we had conflict meetings all the time. And, you know, we were transitioning our church from tradition to New Testament. We were transitioning from, um, you know, Baptist distinctives to a full gospel approach. And that just, people were confused. They were hurt. They felt betrayed because we're supposed to be Baptist. And, you know, here I am talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so there was a lot of conflict. And every time I step in the pulpit, there's five or six people out there, out there that you could tell they're upset with you. And I wasn't allowed just to, you know, preach louder or pretend they weren't upset. I had to go constantly. And some of those things got worked out. That was amazing. Anytime I've ever gotten in a room with people and we, in 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 a context of conflict and we've gotten around the truth, what does the Bible say? There've been times where I've been instructed and corrected and seen things that I didn't see when the conflict was going on and me getting in a room with a person that I was in opposition with, my eyes were open. I said, ah, that's what, that's what I wasn't seeing. Thank you. It's humbling, but it's not about like winning the moment. It's about what is righteous. What is true? What is the right thing to do? And I'm going to tell you, there were other times where I'd get in the room with those people and they just ask questions. That's the best thing. Like when there's conflict, ask questions, don't make accusations, ask questions. And when you get those questions answered and truth enters in the devil runs out because the devil's not going to stay in a place where everybody's looking for the truth and everybody's humble and everybody's gathered around the throne so that the one who is truth can show us what's up. And so we don't give place to the devil 
If you're in a season of conflict right now and you're refusing the biblical process of conflict resolution and it happens all the time, it does, man. It just happens in the kingdom. It can happen on the micro level where two friends get upset with each other over, over coffee. Maybe one's a coffee snob. <laughs> um, or it can happen at a macro level where like church splits and stuff. The Bible is very clear. Everybody look to Jesus. Do whatever it takes to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then I would add this. The Bible also says everybody's going to give an answer for what they did. So I'm going to give an answer. So if somebody's upset with me and I'm running around gossiping about it, I'm trying to build an alliance. I'm telling people why I'm right and they're terrible. Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble with God. Or if I'm listening to somebody coming to me and saying, Jeff, did you know so-and-so did this to me and this is how I'm offended and I'm, I'm so hurt and I'm so wounded and I just leap into action. I say, oh my goodness, I'm on your side. Tell me all about it. Those people are terrible. That's sin because that's what we call slander. You're receiving accusation and you're not working. You're, you're operating in sympathy, but you may not be operating in truth. And so guys, these are very fragile and precise and necessary issues of the body of Christ. You and I are called to work hard at unity. Guess why that's repeated over and over again in the Bible? Because there's always the potential for conflict. And the devil exploits a level two conflict because his intention is to take it to a level 10 conflict. But if we will do what Jesus says at level one and two, it'll never reach level 10. And that's the beauty of following the son of God instead of our own fleshly impulses. He knows what to do. And when we humble ourselves, no matter what we feel, no matter what we think, we humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, you're always right. I'm going to obey because you bless. Your blessing falls upon obedience. And so when you are obeying what the scriptures say about conflict resolution, blessing will hit you. If the other person won't obey, then it's a whole different podcast topic. You pray for those that are in opposition for you. If they end up being an enemy, you just pray for them. And I've learned to do that over the years. It's like, Lord, it's, it's done. I've done everything I can. It won't happen. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, will you pray that I will make them blessable? It's not just Lord bless them in their error, bless them in their rebellion, bless them in their hatred, bless them in their propensity and their appetite for conflict. Just bless them arbitrarily. God, no, that's not what he's telling us to do. And, and blessing our enemy, or I don't even like using that word, but it's, it's in the Bible. So blessing those that we are in conflict or opposition with what, what you're doing is you're saying, God, bring them to a place of broken, humble repentance so that they can be blessed. And God says, that's a good prayer because I'm the one that told you to pray that. And I'm going to say yes to it. So that's a little bit of pastoral counsel for all of us that are in conflict. My time's out today. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits, and we will release another episode next Tuesday morning. God bless. Go and endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and watch the glory fall. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.